Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Sticks in the Six, episode 137. First one of the regular season, Peter. Uh, second episode of season four, and we're excited to get the uh, the Leaf Talk underway. Um, presented here by Indy Alehouse, and we'll get more to that in the coming weeks. Hopefully, we've got some big news coming down the chain there, as well as the Hockey Podcast Network and DraftKings. Uh, before we get into everything, obviously, it's just the two of us right now, but Alex should be jumping on with us any minute. But before that happens, Peter, how you doing this week, buddy? Yeah, doing good. Happy that hockey is kicking off right now. It's been, let's say, a whirlwind like first three days of the season already. And you know what? Glad that we don't have to talk about preseason. We're actually talking about actual meaningful hockey at this point. So, yeah, doing good. Um, obviously, because it's October, like hockey's going on. Obviously, Halloween's going on. So, you know, I'm tuning into like the AMC Fear Fest with all the horror movies and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, basically got a lot of my play between trying to juggle watching and writing about hockey and then watching horror movies in the background so yeah doing good how about you man it's been uh, as you said a whirlwind it's been uh it's been crazy lots of lots of things going on with the kids thanksgiving just happened saw some family um turned a one and a half hour drive to oakville into a four hour drive thanks to the four one being closed so that was that was an experience but uh you know other than that uh like you said, just excited to get hockey back in uh, in our lives and and see some uh, some Maple Leafs hockey. Although the first game wasn't as pretty as uh, we would have liked it, uh, came away with the big two points, and uh, you know can't complain about two points in the standing. So with that, um, let's jump right into it. Uh, why not kick it off with the Pride Tape talk? Uh, I know I know Alex. I'm sure would love to be here for this, and yeah, and I'm sure at some point uh, he'll jump on in the middle of this conversation here, but. Um, pride talk, uh, pride, pride tape. The NHL has banned players from using pride tape. Uh, if you haven't read anything about it, basically players are not allowed to use pride tape on their sticks to support the LGBTQ plus plus community. Um, again, this is, this is kind of par for the course with the NHL as of late taking steps back in inclusivity rather than taking f- steps forward. But uh, before we get into any 
Andrew Rant. Uh, Peter, what are your thoughts on the uh, on the situation, my friend? We'll start off with my rant first. Um, I mean, when we were when I was doing the season opener like live stream with Kyle, like we touched up on this too, and basically, like my thoughts are. I mean, I said it then, and I'm going to say it now. Every time the NHL thinks they're taking one big step forward, it's five to eight, nine or ten massive steps back. This is one of those steps where you thought, where you've been saying that you've been an ally for so long with the whole you can play uh, program, uh, which Brian Burke has spoken out. So good on Brian Burke. Um, with you know the pride jerseys and tape and now all of a sudden you scratch the jerseys last year because seven players had an issue with it and you know the rest of the league is in support of a community that's constantly being harassed abused berated every single time on the internet and if you think that you know we're just making stuff up look at everything online like it's there for a reason and if something as simple as rainbow tape or even a rainbow jersey really pisses you off that is a problem and the fact that the nhl is getting rid of it saying that they're this is basically them catering to like seven or like a very small fraction of a percent of the nhl or like players league wide had an issue with it meanwhile everybody else didn't have an issue with it so i'm i'm so confused as to why you want to grow the game you want to make it inclusive you want to make it a safe space for everyone by you not doing this, you're taking away that, you know, voice or that one little symbol that speaks out to that community and says that you are welcome here. We want you to enjoy the game and enjoy it just like just like a normal fan. Like, I, I don't understand why, you know, they have to constantly say that. Oh, and, and I just love his um I think it was Bill Daly's answer. It's just like, you know, we don't want it to be a distraction just like the Jersey was. Well, no, it wasn't a distraction because only seven players made it a distraction. And, you know, I'm, I'm just at a complete loss of words right now, but I'm glad that Morgan Riley stepped up. I'm glad that Connor McDavid stepped up. I'm glad that Scott Lawton, he said that he's still going to be putting on the tape no matter what. And I think that's what all the players that actually care about this initiative they should go through with it regardless. They like I don't care if the NHL is going to find them or if there is a if there is an actual punishment because I don't think there is and there shouldn't be because that just basically go against you know the players' views. If they're able to use that tape, any chance they get, use it. I mean, how big middle finger and big you know lashback or big pushback from the players to the NHL, and I'm probably going to stop it there because I know Alex has a lot to say about this thing. But yeah, one step forward, eight to 10 massive steps back. And it's just sad that the NHL has to cater to such a small fraction when everybody else wants to be a part and wants to do the right thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm I'm laughing here because I, I can see Alex shaking his head. And if you're watching he already the stream, knows what we're talking about. Yeah. He, knows, he knows damn well as soon as he logs on what we're talking about. And and uh, I mean, how, how brutal would it be though if like a guy like Scott Lawton or a guy like, I mean, Connor McDavid in this argument actually went through and, and, and used the pride tape or what have you. And, um, and the, the league came out and find them like how bad of a, of a media frenzy would that be around the league? I think, I, I mean, at this point it looks like they don't, they don't really give a shit at what, what people yeah. think of them, but, um, but if they I mean, do find them, it's going to look even worse on them. Yeah. So 
Alex, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you, but before I do, I'm gonna I'm gonna raise the question, and either one of you can answer this. Is this a prime example? So they are catering to the 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 um the seven or so players that didn't want to wear the jerseys last season. So is this a prime example of the NHL being less of a democracy, more of a dictatorship? Yeah. I don't know how you can draw a different conclusion there. And you know what? The truth is people got to stop giving the NHL so much credit when they say, oh, they caved to the to the vocal minority, the seven people, because the reality is they didn't cave to anybody. They share the same views mm-hmm. as, the, as the minority. It's just they got to a point where people started to pick up on their bullshit and call them out more often for it. And then we've reached this point now where the NHL knows that no, that people can see right through them. And so they just do what they do best and they tried to shove it under the rug. That's the only reason they got rid of the, the ability for teams to wear pride tape and, um, and uh, show their support for the uh, LGBTQ community. And it's just, you know, when you, when you look at the way that the NHL has handled pretty much any controversial situation in the past, there's a very consistent theme of trying to sweep things under the rug, just trying to make, make, like hope that the general public forgets about it. Hope they stop getting asked about it. Hope that their generic media quotes will be enough to put out the fire. And it's like that, like that's all it comes down to at this point. If they really were allies and they were really for the idea of hockey is for everybody, then they wouldn't be caving to the seven people that don't want to wear pride tape, but they're not caving to seven people. They are on the same page as those seven people, right? That's just the way I pick up on it anyways, because, you know, they've gone from we, you know, hockey is for everyone. We want to include everybody and make sure everyone feels safe in the game to, you know what? Fuck all this shit. Fuck all the theme jerseys we're taking away from everybody because we don't want to deal with the pushback anymore. And it's pushback that, again, I you can't tell me that these these rich owners are truly allies and truly do want to make the game a safe space for everyone. You Like, I just I I, I, uh, I don't think I um. I didn't catch what any of you guys said because I hopped on a little late, but I feel like I just echoed a lot of what both of you said. So I'm going to, I'm going to cut it there. But. Yeah, no, and it, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, like I, I agree. I think, I think it kind of is more telling of the NHL as a league, you know, and where they stand when they, when they make moves like this. And you say like, you know, Bill Daly said it, they didn't want to be a distraction, but for how many years was it not a distraction? You wore the jerseys, you wore the yep. tape and all of a sudden you let the minority be that distraction and on top of that i think you know like this is the this is the best opportunity for somebody like a Sidney crosby somebody like a Connor mcdavid somebody like helen austin matthews to come out and basically say like you know what screw all of you this is what i'm gonna stand for this is what like morgan riley you know put the tape on your stick at the mm-hmm. end of the day like they find you they find you and and i don't know if you guys saw the report i think it was from greg wasinski uh who said that um you know the the uh, the actual company that makes the pride tape got a massive order from, I believe it was two specific NHL teams, and I don't think they named the NHL teams, but that basically bought them out of the pride tape. So they bought yeah, them out of the pride good. tape, that and cool. and uh, somebody uh, I forget which player it was was actually using it uh, in practice or something like that. But regardless, or or using it uh, somewhere in the dressing room or something like that, but. Regardless, I mean, like, there's still people that are out there willing to stand up for, you know, what's, I'm going to say right. And, uh, I mean, even Brad Trilliving's, uh 
comments afterwards saying, you know, we're going to still find a way to support the community um, the way that we should and, yeah. and whatever else. And I mean, it, it's just kind of telling that, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the minority is not going to win. It's, it's the, the masses and, and the, uh, the larger groups that are going to still go out there and, and put their best foot forward. And I think they're going to find other ways of, of making sure that uh, there is inclusivity in the game and there is inclusivity in, in all sports, to be honest. It is funny how back when this was a major talking point last season with Provorov, who got the ball rolling, obviously, and then James Reimer and the stalls followed suit and all that. It is funny how everybody who was defending those players came back to the one talking point of Oh, well, why can't you just respect their beliefs and respect their right to choose? And yet yet now they're not even giving the allies an opportunity to choose, but yeah. all of a sudden not an issue anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, the, I the would... allies out there, Scott Lawton and John Merrill and Morgan Riley and all these people who have who have shown support for the community in the past want to exercise their right their rights. to use pride tape. But now they're not allowed to. And the the same people who are going after the NHL for saying, why don't you just respect their right to choose if they want to participate or not? Because it's only specific rights that they yeah, want focused exactly. in on. Exactly. That's it. So. Two things I want to add to. I mean, obviously, you know, um, I hope Brian Burke comes out and like he already made comments about this. I hope he goes more in depth and I hope he lays in the NHL even more. And two, what does it say about a player coming up into the league like Luke Prokop? who has come out just as, spit in his face yeah just spit like, in his face. that basically just says that him as a player drafted by an nhl team that they don't support said player for that nhl team right now yeah i can't remember who who tweeted this but i, I i'm gonna paraphrase it because it was i still think it was pretty important it, it, the the hilarious irony in that and hilarious is obviously used in jest there but the nhl turned luke prokop into their lgbtq community poster boy yeah yeah. as soon as he came out every single every pride month every single you know national coming out day any day where there was some celebration of the community the nhl would post something oh look at luke prokop he is the first nhl drafted player to come out as gay Mm -hmm. and now we want and we're gonna bring him into a league where everybody is happy for him and everybody supports him and then they go and do this and it's like okay listen nhl uh Luke Prokop's story is not your story. Fuck mm-hmm. off. Like what's crazy though, is that th- this isn't, this isn't even surprising to anybody. Like, I don't think no. there was anybody out there no. that was like shocked by the news that they're not going to use pride tape anymore. In fact, shocked that the, it happened, but you know, at the, the news, it didn't surprise anybody because well, based on everything that happened. Yeah. Well, the most surprising thing for me was the fact that they, they said all specialty jerseys. So to me, you're saying military nights, non-existent, um hockey you're fights saying cancer hockey fights cancer should be non-existent indigenous so, yeah like that was the most surprising thing to me because you go down to the states and and you know you talk about the leafs who have had a uh november 11th game for how many years and, and respected that the military and, and honored members luke's of the military. troops luke's luke's troops luke's yeah. troops and luke's and luke's troops you can yep. sit there now and say like well under the nhl's new guidelines that cannot happen Mm-hmm. You could not skate out there with a camo covered jersey during warmups. <laughs> so it's just yep. it, it, it's kind of, that's that's more of the joke to me is that like you basically shot yourself in the foot when it comes to and on top of that, like you want to talk about revenues, like forget the fact that this is like political and like media suicide in terms of like the inclusivity side of it, but 
you've just shot off in the foot in terms of profitability because how many of those jerseys actually sold as well in auction in you know like and i'm not just talking the prize jersey i'm talking every Everything. single specialty jersey that you yes. you provided so i mean at the end of the day i think i think it's a terrible move i think it's bullshit and it, it again not surprising by any means with uh, gary bettman led nhl Andrew, I'm not gonna lie. I'm very shocked at that statement you made about the NHL shooting themselves in the foot. That they they just don't seem like the type of organization that would do something like that. Yeah, right. Like yeah, they, they, make all these, they, they they make every decision with informed research, and they think about everything they say. And they and uh, I have a million dollars. And um, yeah. I, I, I was trying to, I, I, I don't know. I don't think that joke really took off the way I hoped it would. No, no, I got it. I got it. I think, I think anybody, well, I, I, I think we can hear the hint of sarcasm I, in your voice. I was trying too, to, I was so. trying to come up with something after I have a million dollars and then my mind just blanked, but you get the point that I'm trying to make. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So fuck the NHL. We all agree. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, boys, uh, jumping over to our leaf talk. Um, first note, big news uh, in terms of players that were, were uh, sent down Nick Robertson once again a uh, member of the Marlies um I and in saying that I do think that there's players ahead of him that uh, will get the call up prior to him I think Pontus Holmberg um I, I think Abruzzese I think there's there's other other players that are ahead of him now in the depth chart is this the end of the road for Nick Robertson in a Leafs jersey Alex let's throw it to you first buddy I don't want to call it the end of the road because it's so painful because there's such Potential, potential in there yeah. and you can see it every single time he takes the ice and even when you look at the goals that he scored in the nhl you can see that there's some 15 20 goal potential there but the problem with robertson just remains that he doesn't have a defensive game and if the leafs aren't playing him in the top six or on a very offensive heavy third line he can't like there's no spot for him in the lineup and that's the unfortunate reality of this you know, you, you, you wonder why guys like Matthew Nyes have leapfrogged him on the depth chart. And obviously there's a wealth of reasons between, um, you know, he's physically, he's a little more capable of fitting in with the, with the NHL, um, hasn't had the same injury history. And, you know, he comes in and gets his opportunity. He ran with it immediately last year. Um, and even guys like Frazier Minton, you know, we're, we're obviously going to talk about Minton in a little bit, but he is a guy who's got the size, he's got the smarts to compete in the NHL and he made the team before Robertson did this year. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate because Robertson is a great player. I, th I, I think he's got the potential to be a really great player in the NHL. And the reality is he just doesn't have the intangibles that you need to crack the roster, like outside of goal scoring. Like he's got the goal scoring ability. He's got the offensive prowess. We know that, but unless like if he were to, if he were to put it this way, if he were to stay a leaf, and save himself of being in any trade rumors then at some point within the last year he would have jumped into a role in the top six and he would have run with it and been a legitimate option but right now i mean you're looking at the deepest top nine the leafs have had in the matthews era um i just don't see it. and then you've got your fourth line which has the has the identity now of reeves the tough guy gregor the speedy four checker and david camp the defensive stalwart there's just there's no space for robertson on the roster and that's the sad reality of it right now Peter, your thoughts on Robertson? Uh, is this a kid that needs a fresh start somewhere, and maybe maybe gets a, a chance in a middle six somewhere around the league? Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up because you know there's been this whole like whole thing about like Robertson and the Philadelphia Flyers possibly becoming a match, and given how they're in a rebuilding phase, 
there are spots in the top six waiting for him on the left side that he could be an impact player for. I don't know if it's ever going to like come to fruition, but there are teams looking for someone like Robertson. And, you know, you mentioned that if this is going to be the end of the road, I think this is something that you have to consider because like you mentioned, you know, Abruzzese looked really good in the preseason. Same with Pontus Holmberg. I think because of the whole, they want to utilize him more as a center than a wing, but you know, it just didn't quite work out with Holmberg because Minton played extremely well. I'm even going to throw in because Nick Robertson was even on the right side at sometimes Max Alex looked much better than Robertson during the preseason Mm -hmm. as well. And kind of similar, the same, same game, you know, very gifted offensively, quick speed, the ability to get on the attack, still a small player as well, but he stood out more in a big way than Robertson did throughout the whole entire uh, camp. And, you know, this is just one of those situations where, time is running out for him and it's a, and it's a bad situation because it looks like things were turning his way or turning the page but then the injury hit last year and that really took a big impact on him and now that they added that extra depth with bringing in Bertuzzi and Domi I don't think if they brought in either one of those players you probably saw Nick Robertson in the top nine but at this point it, it does seem like you have to try and explore that possibility and get the best deal possible for him because it's probably just not going to be enough room. And plus if the cap is going up and let's say if Bertuzzi turns the page, didn't have a great first game, but let's say he continues to develop and play well on the left side and he earns a new contract. Same with Domi. He's still going to be out of the picture. And then with Nyes coming up, what's going to happen there? You're not going to play him on the fourth line again. Yeah, I think, I mean, you can only say so much about Robertson that uh, doesn't fall back on the fact that this kid's had some bad breaks along the way. And, and the injuries yeah. certainly like you're not getting the consistent reps. You're not getting in the lineup enough. I mean, he has a great preseason last year and then again, hit with the injury bug. Like it just, I think that that's the tough part about this situation is that it, as you said, Alex, the potential's there. Mm-hmm. The ceiling is high. Um, he's not going to come close to being like his brother, Jason, um, not even close, but, he's still got the potential to be like a middle six guy, like possibly a, a solid third liner. Um, I just don't think it happens in Toronto anymore. I think, you know, if we were talking about it two years ago, it's a different story. Now you've got the the prospect pool that you have in Toronto. You have the guys that are coming up. You have the guys that are outperforming what was expected of them. Um, Fraser Minton's a, a perfect example, and, and, and we'll get to that in a sec. But, you know, Abruzzese, guys like that, they're, they're, they're just kind of – stepping over the expectations that were put on them when they were drafted. And because of that, you've seen Nick Robertson take a step back in the depth chart. It's, it is crazy to think that two guys that were in the same draft class, Nick Robertson and Nick Abruzzese, it's crazy to think that Abruzzese is the one who's in line to get reps more so than Robertson at this point. And I'll tell you guys, when he scored those two goals, Robertson, I mean, against Dallas last year, including the overtime winner, I really thought that moment was when we turned the page on Robertson. Yeah. I, you know, he had a spot in the top six that was essentially handed to him on a silver platter. They had tried Dennis Mulgan there and Mulgan didn't work out. So they were giving Robertson some reps. He had that great first game and then he had a couple of bad games and then he had that shoulder injury and he's out for the year. It's like, that's the other thing too, is you, you hate to talk about a guy like this. Cause in the end he's a human and he's got long-term health that he's got to worry about. But every single time this guy gets injured, he loses trade value. And yeah. it's it's going to get to a point where the Leafs are like, okay, do we want to wait out this entire thing and risk all these injuries at the expense of trade value? Or do we just bite the bullet and get rid of him now? 
that's and I, again hate to use the word get rid of him because he's not like it's not like this is a guy carrying a boat anchor of a contract you've been trying to get out of the system for a while it's just you know he's he's been there and he's been on the cusp for four years now and part mm-hmm. of that is because he developed really quickly and he probably cracked the nhl a little sooner than he should have but still man i mean you know you, you, you're drafting guys who are leapfrogging him on the depth chart he's slipping behind and he doesn't have the defensive instincts to fit somewhere other than where he where he would thrive so yeah i don't know it's it, it's it feels like they're really approaching a crossroads here with robertson yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him move this year for that specific reason. You hold on to him any longer. I think his trade value goes down. You have to get what you can now. Um, in terms of what the Leafs have on their roster, we're going to start with Muzzin and Murray, both LTIR um, players this season. Murray out, obviously, six to eight months. Uh, Muzzin essentially, essentially his career is done now that he's been named a pro scout for the team, which I love to see him in the, in the front office. I love to see former players get the opportunity to jump up there, especially a guy like Muzzin who just has so much heart. Um, boys real quick, Andrew, sorry, before you move yeah, on yeah. impromptu trivia question for you guys here, who was the last former leaf that was named a California based scout for the team? It was within the last decade. And it was the same kind of thing. You know, the guy stopped playing and then the Leafs hired him. Not Joffrey Lupul. Nope. You're no. not going to, I don't think you're going to, if you didn't know the answer right away, I don't think you will. Throw, throw me his initials. TB. TB? Yeah. Troy Bodie? Yes. Troy Bodie. Troy Bodie. Yes. <laughs> Troy ah, Bodie. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Hey, wasn't he, uh, wasn't he um, Brian Burke's like son-in-law or something like that? I think so. Was it Brian Burke? Was it no, Brian I think Burke? It was, was it Burke's or was it Dave Nonis's? It might have been Dave. Anyways, doesn't matter. I'm going like, to fact check this anyway, but yeah, we can move on from this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Your fun fact of the day brought to you by hey, uh, Alex wait, Hobson. Wait, wait, boys, boys. He's married to the daughter of former MLSC president Tim Lywicki. There you go. That's oh, what okay. it was. That's what it was. Okay, there was a, there was a, rela- a yeah. family like connection. Okay. Yeah. That's that's when they brought him in too when Lywicki was there, right? Yeah, yeah. he was he yeah. was still their president back then. Yeah. What a disappointing run that was. Um <laughs> anyways, <laughs> Peter, any any anything you wanted to add to these two uh, these two roster moves for the for the Leafs? I mean, not much to say about it aside from the fact that uh, Murray's Murray had uh, a rough run with the Leafs, uh, likely not uh, not on the uh, return list. And uh, you know, good to see Jake Muzzin there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, it sucks for Murray because you could tell that he needed the surgery because apparently, if he was playing through what was ailing him, then we know why he wasn't up to par and where he was as, as a goaltender. Um, I'm just glad. Yeah, it sucks that he's out six to eight months. Hopefully, he comes back healthy. I don't know if the Maple Leafs will extend him, but hopefully, he gets another opportunity elsewhere. But also, Muzzin himself, you know, the fact that they brought him in as a scout. He knows this game. He's currently played in it. He knows where it's going, and he knows the type of players to look for. Um, so if if the, if they're looking to him to have any say in bringing somebody in, he's definitely going to play, be, play a big part in that. And also big shout-out to Curtis McElhaney, too, as a goaltending development and scout mm-hmm. for the team as well. I think that was a really big add. I think he really – I, I I'm going to say keeping – uh, Garrett Sparks over him was still a mistake, 
but glad he's back in and making decisions and being a part of this team right now. So, um, but yeah, glad Muzzin has a, has a spot. I th- kind of like Jason Spezza, they had to give him an opportunity. They had to keep him on the team somehow. And this is one of those spots that I think he's really going to succeed in. Well, I mean, you're paying him anyways. You might as well keep him. But Alex, anything you want to add to that as well? Uh, yeah, I hope that all the Sens fans who thought that this was big, some big conspiracy and that the, oh, yeah, NHL, the, that, and that the Leafs were paying the NHL off to lie about Murray's injury and that he didn't actually need surgery. I hope you all feel really fucking stupid right now. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. That's <laughs> hey, spe- speaking of Canadian teams, uh, this is kind of off the map for a second here. And I know this, I know it's game one. But how bad did Edmonton look against Vancouver? Oh, I didn't oh. watch any of that game. I didn't oh. watch any of that game. Oh man. man, that was rough. I mean, I I said it to a I said it to that a rough. fan that uh, this you know this will be a wake up call. You'll see him come flying uh, next game, and and McDavid will probably put up like a ten point game or something crazy. But um, could, you, could you imagine how much it would have paid out if you took the Canucks at minus six point five? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Uh, oh, I mean, I'm even gonna say this: like Jack Campbell had a great preseason, but this also shows that preseason isn't everything. Like those goals that he allowed in, that's just absolute like crazy. And you, I, and I hate to say this, but Craig Button said that you know he's consistent at being inconsistent, that's and it. that is absolutely true with Jack Campbell because you don't know who you're going to get, and if you're going to continue with him or try to give him some starting reps. Just, just give the starting role to Skinner because Guys, he knows what he's capable of doing. Here's the worst part about it is that because Jack Campbell started that game and because he played as poorly as he did, there's his confidence gone for the entire season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, like, you're it's not gone. recovering from that. He's, and and I, I love Jack Campbell. I mm-hmm. think quality human being and um, really deserving of a good run, but – he is a mental midget, man. And, and like when you put, when you put up an eight spot on the guy, like. So it wasn't even an eight spot. He was, he, they scored four four goals on 16 shots and then pulled him. And then Skinner came in and allowed the same amount. Even, even more. Yeah. No, it doesn't make his, yeah. It doesn't make his case any better. You know what? He, um, the thing about Campbell, I agree Forbes. I, I, I like as a, as a person, I want him to succeed. But I also do think there's some funny irony in just how much shit Oilers fans talked when they when when the Oilers signed Campbell to that deal, and especially since it was coming off the season where they signed Hyman to that five year contract mm-hmm. or seven year contract. Sorry, mm-hmm. and you know what? I'm not gonna lie. I thought that Hyman contract was gonna age a lot worse than it did. He's looking yeah. like a he's taking another step, and that's a good contract. Mm-hmm. So well, good I mean, for them. You're on the power so, play with Drysaddle and, and McDavid though too. Remember? Yeah, that, that's right? that's, that's true. Too, that's yeah. true. You but just then, set up shop in front of the net. It's just funny because, you know, the Oilers hit on that signing. Oilers fans are loving it. They've got their winger for McDavid. He's killing it. And then they come back and they take the least starting goalie next offseason. It's like, oh, we got Hyman. Now we got Campbell. And then just to see Campbell, like, nosedive the way that he did, it's like, we warned him. And you know what? Here's the thing about that, Peter. If Ken Holland did an ounce of research and looked at Jack Campbell's season outside of November and October that year... I don't think he would have even wanted to give him one million. The warning signs were there. You look at the, you know, you look at his little streak in the his shutout streak or whatever, and his winning streak um, during the COVID shortened season, and then his Vezina numbers that he put up in October and November of 2021. Gone. As soon as that month of November ended, man, he was. It, it was honestly like having two Peter Mrazics on hand, mm-hmm. and 
it's like you know you, you want to go out and you want to chase after the sexy name on the market because of what he did for two months sorry man you deserve every yeah. little bit of fallback you're going to get from that contract well and then uh, edmonton goes out and signs another former leaf in connor brown and uh well Every well, I'm not going to say every analyst, but most analysts on Sportsnet have them to win the cup. So we'll see how that breaks down in the next nice 81 up. games. But boys, back to our beloved Leafs. Um, let's talk about the season opener. Uh, milestone night for M- Matthews. We can get to that, uh, or we can get to Fraser Minton. Peter, let's kick it off with Minton. Um, season debut didn't look horrible. Didn't look horrible. Looked like he fit. Uh, played, you know, through the body around a little bit, played physical, um, fair amount of ice time looked solid in his, in his first mm-hmm. NHL start. And what, what were your takeaways from Fraser Minton's, uh, debut with the Maple Leafs? You clearly saw it was a player that was just trying to soak it all in too. Um, you know, that moment itself, you know, he already got the call and I, I believe it was, um, you know, he was having Thanksgiving dinner with Morgan Riley and that's when he got the call from true living saying that you made the team. So, you know, great moment then great moment right now. Um, uh, but yeah, I, 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 this is a player that during the preseason when they're still like, you know, NHLers, AHLers, pro level players that you're still going up against. You could talk about the difficulty level between the two leagues, whatever it's still pro hockey, but for him to still succeed at that, like playing against pro players showed that he was ready for this. And the fact that he got into a regular season game right now shows that he's still ready for it. Now, do you, is it still worth it to try and keep him playing in a third line role where maybe he's still maybe got some things to learn? I don't think it's the right idea. I think he shouldn't go beyond the nine games. I think maybe you get him in for like maybe in between four to five, see what else he can do. And if he has like a couple, not necessarily hiccups that you're expecting it to happen because he is a rookie, but you know, just there isn't anything wrong sending him back to junior if you need to, because he's going to tear it up there. He's going to be a leader. Forbes, you talked about how his leadership was coming out during the rookie tournament. You saw his play develop overall during camp. I think this is a player where, he flew under the radar coming in, but he made a statement with this and getting onto the team showed that he's capable of playing at this level consistently. I don't know, but it it does. It is a good starting point for him. And whether he stays here, whether he goes back to junior, it's not going to be a right or wrong decision. It's going to be what's best for him, no matter what. So if they feel that he's comfortable and learning at the pro level, great juniors, Send him back, let him dominate World Juniors as well, mm-hmm. and we'll take it from there. But he has looked, he has looked good. One game, small sample, but you have to be impressed. Alex, your thoughts on Minton and uh, through his first uh, first NHL game? Man, I gotta commend the guy for just giving the fans something exciting to talk about in training camp. I mean, I don't think anybody expected, I think everyone expected the storylines to be standard. You know, will Bertuzzi fit on the first line, Ryan Reeves, what's his role going to be, et cetera. I don't think anybody thought they'd be talking about Frazier Minson making the team. Um, but he, to his credit has looked amazing uh, through training camp and he's earned every bit of that job. And just like Peter was saying, I think the beauty of his situation right now is that regardless of what happens, he's not going to have a rocky road in his development from here. Like if he plays these nine games, at least have absolutely no obligation to keep him on the team past these nine games. If he's starting to show signs of struggling, 
And if he doesn't make the if he doesn't make it past the nine games, like you said, Peter, go back, dominate on a Kelowna Rockets team that doesn't have Logan Stank oven or Matthew Sevenoff or anything like that, that anymore. Razors. Yeah. Or did I say what did I say? Kelowna Rockets. Whoops. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Although it would be nice if he could play with, you know, Andrew Crystal and Tijaginla. So that's that's true. Um Anyways, yeah, sorry. The uh, Kamloops Blazers, different two, two different K teams. Um, but either way, yeah, you send him back and he dominates the WHL. And then, you know, regardless if he stays in the NHL or not, I think he should go to the juniors either way if they'll take mm-hmm. him. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things where he showed up and he's forced their hand all the way. So whatever happens at this point, you can't really complain because there's a real chance that he'll look good over these next nine games and he'll make the NHL this year, which would be an amazing development for the Leafs. Or if he can't, I mean, you can pretty much, I think you could slide Pontus Holmberg into that third line center role without any foul mm-hmm. or any harm. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it good for the kid for, um, and I can actually call him a kid because he's my little brother's age, which is fucked. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You can, uh, you, you can, you can, uh, go forward with this and regardless of what happens, I think it's going to be, a, it's going to end up well for Minton. And one more thing, Peter, when you mentioned, um, Treliving giving Frazier Minton the call and all this, and the fact that, you know, he, he let, he called him while he was at dinner at Morgan Riley's house on Thanksgiving and all that. I, I think that I want to give a shout out to Brad Treliving here because yeah. You know what? I, I think that, and no disrespect to Kyle Dubas, because we've talked on a number of occasions about the kind of guy that Kyle Dubas is. You know how he spent time in the hospital with Ilya Mikheyev, and he, he was known for doing a lot of these real stand-up things in the organization and being a really good people person. And I think a lot of people kind of unfairly threw Treliving under the bus when they hired him, just thinking, oh, you know, because he's been with the Flames for 10 years or so. He's like, oh, the Leafs, typical, going back and hiring and just a classic hockey man. Um <laughs> It's the old boys club. And I think he kind of got unfairly painted under that umbrella by all accounts, everything that I've seen since he's been in Toronto, he's just as much of a stand-up guy as Kyle Dubas. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you, you hear about how he traveled back to Calgary to be with Chris snow in his final days. Um, you know, there was, like, you mentioned Forbes with his soundbite that he gave on, on pride nights and stuff and how they'd still be make, taking these measures. I think that true living's a lot closer to a Dubas type than he is to like a Lou Lamorello type, if that makes any sense. Oh, 100%. Like, this is, like he's yeah. just because he was on the same team for a while and that team didn't have a lot of success doesn't mean he's a classic old boy hockey man, right? So shout out to Brad True Living. He seems like a stand-up guy. And from what he's done with the Leafs so far, I've I've liked it. So um obviously there's still some crucial moves to come that'll that'll fully shape my opinion on him. But as of right now, I'm liking what I'm seeing. I'll go as far as saying that I think he's he's a Dubis type with a little bit more life experience, and that's yeah. mm-hmm. that that's actually going to probably play into his hand a little bit better. But um, I did want to make one note about Minton, and and I saw a video of Paul Maurice today um, talking about you know when players make their debuts and and what it means yeah. to rookies, and it's not about the it's not about them, and it's not about their first game. It's about paying homage to the people that got you to where you are, the volunteer coaches, the parents, the grandparents, all that, and putting on a show for them and just, and letting them enjoy that moment as well. And I think that's a classic case of what Minton did in his first game. He was there. He played, he played well. He didn't, he didn't, you know what? He didn't make news, which is, is the best thing you could do in your, in your, in your debut. And instead he just let his, his grandparents were there. His parents were there. 
And, you know, it was just a great moment for the Minton family. So I also, sorry, I also love the fact that in, when he was asked about it and asked if he had any nerves, he's like, no, I mean, you may like, I made it and it only gets harder from here. So he yeah. knows, you know, he's not, he's not some, you know, punk junior kid getting his cup of coffee in the NHL. Like, hell yeah, brother going to ride the wave here and then go back to juniors. Yeah. Like he's, He's, he's dialed in. He's set on staying. He's dialed in. That's accountability, the guys. Accountability, and it's rare in this generation. I hate to say it, but it's accountability. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay, but grandpa, those... Whatever you say. <laughs> they didn't those... cut the white beard out, or the white hair out of my beard, so I'm a little, <laughs> little angry me. about that. <laughs> Old man yelling at cloud kind of thing. Um, but yeah, no, you saw the turning point with those two Habs games when it was him and Nye's taking control of the back-to-back situation and they did not look out of place at all because they dealt with both you know classes of the canadians you know ahl or b squad versus their a squad as well and they played well so like you said alex this is a player that's going in right now one game under his belt yeah you want to see more but this is a player that's going to be riding high on that momentum where he's just like you know what if I stick to the game plan and I exceed or like live up to my expectations of what I can do as a player, being that smart two-way player, aggressive on the attack, because apparently him and Nice love to crash and and get in on the attack too. They both play that same style. Things are going to sure, work out for him. I'm sure you guys are on the same page here, but I'm taking some real solace in the fact that I've been a Fraser Minton France fan since the draft. Yeah, I know some people when he was drafted were like, uh, it might be a little bit of a reach, might be a little too much of a safe pick in the second round. But I mean, when your IQ is already there at that mm-hmm. age and your size develops that quickly, any offense you can bring at this stage is gravy. And I think I truly do think that in Fraser Minton's prime, he can be a real second line center, high end second line center with defensive instincts who can put up 50 to 60 points a year. Yeah, I think you're I think you're looking at like a Jordan Stahl type in his prime. Not I hate to use that name as an example, but same sort of all situations type player. Yeah, Yeah. all situations, decent amount of points. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was in the scrum too, like he was honest about his play and where he expected to be. He probably said like maybe, yeah, I got a lot of time to develop, but he prides himself on playing a smart two way game. Like you mentioned, Alex IQ, he was already setting realistic expectations for him. And that was the most important thing that I took out of his scrum was that he was already like, you know, I know what's at stake right now. I know what I can do. I'm not going to be anything else or change the way that I'm going to be. Yeah, that was that was at the moment where I became a big Fraser Mitten fan. Man, like the thing you have to think about, too, is like this is a. You know, this is a kid, like you said, who who set himself realistic expectations. He came back the year after he was drafted, put up some solid numbers. Um, there wasn't a lot of expectation on him, but he put in the work. And the fact that he is where he is now, I mean, it's just a testament to what he's done over the last couple of seasons. Uh, I think it's it's great for the Leafs. It's great for Minton. And honest to God, like it, he gets sent back prior to those nine games. I think uh, there's no question that his development's t- on the right track and he'll understand that. Uh, I think he'll take that to, you know, full, full opportunity to take full advantage of it. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how, you know, it moves forward this season, but I want to tie in our last two talking points because we can talk all we want about Austin Matthews and his 300th goal and how he's the 10th fastest player in NHL history to get there, the second fastest active player to get there. Um, but I also want to talk about the the Leafs' big game against uh, the uh, the Montreal Canadiens to open the season and how Matthews took the team on his back and carried them through it. So, Alex, let's tie those two in together. 
Matthews carrying his team, showing the leadership that we want uh, over the next five years. And really, I mean, this is a guy that that just wants to win. I I, I can really truly see that, and uh, I think I think that performance was a perfect example of it. Boys, it was only one game, but I think we can all agree that there was something off about Austin Matthews all of last season. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but the Matthews we saw in game one of this year looked a lot more like the 60 goal scorer Matthews than last year. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And you can tie a lot of that in probably to the fact that his wrist is fully healed and he's not thinking about hurting himself when he's trying to do the one thing that not the one thing, but trying to do the main thing that he's known for. Um, But it was, it wasn't just his goals. Like his first goal textbook wrist shot from the slot standard Matthews goal, that celebration that he had on that goal and saw the emotion, how happy he looked every, like on every single one of those goals. And I, I don't know what, I don't know, man. It just, he was playing with more confidence. He was playing like, a, he was playing like a guy who was eternally jacked to be where he was. And when you look at the fact that in, you know, we can, like you said, we're going to tie these two talking points together, but one of my favorite parts from that win was that, and again, I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit. Maybe we're reading a little too much into the We're Leaf fans, man. That's what yeah, we well, do. That's what we're, we're supposed, supposed to do. do. <laughs> if, you think, if you're going to listen to a Leafs podcast and think we're not going to overreact to game one, then you're mistaken. Anyways, um, you, you, we heard all summer long about how adding guys like Bertuzzi and Domi and Ryan Reeves are going to add a little more guys with snot. And I think a lot of people towards the end of that offseason – kind of moved on from the fact that like, okay, Bertuzzi and Domi aren't physical players. They're not going to go out and lay these massive hits, but everyone's like, everyone started to understand that like, even with Ryan Reeves, the Leafs didn't bring in Ryan Reeves because they needed a tough guy. They brought these guys in because they need a tough team mentality. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they improved on last year, but still could have used some work. And I don't know, man, like what we saw in that game, Ryan Reeves laying two massive hits and then, and then, that, that tilt with Arbor Jack eye. And then like you saw There's later in the Bertuzzi. game, Bertuzzi took a couple of like, took a, took a little poke of at the goalie as the whistle was blown, got shoved. He, I don't know if you guys saw the video, but Bertuzzi was like boxing that defenseman, whoever it was, he was, he was <laughs> right hook. Yeah. And as that's the happening, reverse angle shot, yeah. as that's happening, Matthews and Marner both jumped into the scrum, which how long has it been since that's happened? And like, Giordano, I don't know if you guys saw him coming. Oh, that all the the Geo tackle, Geo See, tackle that, per sixties are going to be high this year. The thing is, Geo did that last year, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah. yeah. So Geo, yeah. like, I love the Geo tackle. That's a great thing in itself. <laughs> angry, angry old Italian guy. But, <laughs> uh, but on a serious note, like, no one is asking Austin Matthews to go out and hit like Tom Wilson. No one's asking Mitch Marner to drop the gloves. But little things like that, where it's like, don't fuck with us because we're not going to get pushed around anymore. Matthews and Marner jumping into the scrum right there. Like that, that is what Leaf fans want. And I guarantee you, if you ask Leaf fans, the vast majority of Leaf fans, if they would rather have a team that finishes first in the division and passes all the analytical tests, but has no backbone and doesn't stand up for each other and doesn't play physically, basically the Leafs of like 2021. Or if they'd rather see a, a team that might not, ace all their games might have some defensive setbacks, but a team that's fun and a team that goes out and stands up for each other and a team where you can just feel the bonding and like feel the connection that they all have. I guarantee you 99% of Lee fans are taking that second team. That's what they have been clamoring for, for the past 
like pretty much since the start of the Matthews era. And again, one game this that I'm sure there'll be games this year where we're questioning their identity and stuff, but just the fact that those guys have inspired confidence and they've inspired the guys to like, you know, go to war with each other, drag each other into the fight. I think it's going to make for a much more fun season and hopefully a better playoff run considering what they've, um, what teams in the playoffs and teams who have gone on those long runs have shared in common, which is that team toughness. So I like what I've seen from those guys after game one. Peter, before we get to you, just a quick word from our sponsors over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NFL season is going strong, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet 5 bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets, and DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener, off, sweetener offer every game day this October. Uh, talk about, uh, some of the lines that, uh, that we, we saw. I'll tell you right now, last night I, I put on the over of Kansas city. That was not Ooh. a good pick. Um, just a terrible Thursday night game. I'll never bet on Thursday night games ever again, <laughs> but those are the type of lines you're going to be looking at when you're playing with DraftKings sportsbook app, get in on game day greatness, download the DraftKings sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL, that's code THPN only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 800-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, LA. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Forbes, as somebody who cashed a parlay on Thursday night football last night, you want me to give you a prop tip? Absolutely. You ever want something to boost your boost your parlays that's worked really well for me? Taylor Swift. <laughs> Taylor Swift is a good one. We're gonna, I think <laughs> those are exclusive for Chief games. This one's for any game, regardless gotcha. of what you're watching. But um QB rushing yards tends to do really well for me. I've I, I've hit that betting on Trevor Lawrence, I've hit that betting on Patrick Mahomes. I've like, hit what you're going on, you're going over? Yeah, QB rushing yards. Patty Mahomes is over under yesterday was set at, I think 20.5 and he hasn't had any less than 30 in a game this year. So there you go. That's yeah, there's, there's, there's something right there. If you're ever looking for a, for, and for what it's worth, I took KC minus 6.5, uh, Isaiah Pacheco, 60 plus rushing yards. And then Patrick Mahomes, 20 plus rushing yards. And it hit. So Here, here's some advice to all the betters out there. Never take Russell Wilson. He's absolutely oh, garbage. Yeah. yeah. Garbage. <laughs> Do not never, never again. Never yeah. again. It's it's over. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, uh, I think yeah, he he ruined his uh, his standing in the NFL. Anyways, Peter, your thoughts on uh, the opening night for the Maple Leafs? Uh, Matthews hitting three hundred again, being the second fastest active player to do it, the tenth fastest in history. Um, pretty great numbers for the big guy. Absolutely. I'm just going to show a little that emotion right there. That emotion on that game time goal is the face 
or a reaction that you want to see no matter what. That, yeah, it's an opening day or opening game. Not a whole lot of meaning to it, but considering where they were in the game, Matthews carried that team on his back and he brought them to that shootout victory. Ultimately, Marner winning it. And you know what? Considering that he got the hat trick um, and not playing his best game. um, Yeah, you guys can see what I'm going there with the Steve Simmons comment. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, I mean, what more do you want? from your star player that's like getting paid 13 million. That's those are the those are the type type of games and kind of moments where you still want him to to succeed and carry this team and make them dominant and just just an all-around threat. I mean, even when he didn't have the puck, he was still like impactful defensively. And then when he's given his opportunities, I, I mean, like you said, Alex, too, um, that first, like the first goal was like vintage Austin Matthews. So last year at times, he would kind of like hesitate, wait a little bit long, then shoot the puck, it would go wide or it just hit the post. That that was like perfect prime Austin Matthews shot right there on his first goal on the power play. I can't believe he was very deceptive on that second one and that third one just waited it out even longer. Like that's just the smarts that Austin Matthews has. And that is why he's one of the most lethal goal scorers in this game right now. I'm going to say right there, I, I'm like, you could probably say that he's probably better than Ovechkin or like just as consistent as Ovechkin right now. Um, yeah. no. I, would, fan- I Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. I'm going to argue that he is better uh, in terms of his production uh, percentage. If you go back and look at my piece at the hockey Raiders on his 299 goals, mm-hmm. his overall production is actually on pace to beat where Ovechkin is. If where he, he was the same career. amount of games. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And that was a great, great, great piece. I'm glad, uh, you know, you, you're promoting that one too, considering everything that just happened. Um, yeah. I mean, w- w- what can you say about the guy? Like, if everyone is saying that, like, okay, you know what? He needs to be a little bit more clutch in the playoffs, but he's clutch in the regular season. And if he can just be a little bit more clutch in the playoffs, that's going to be what defines him as a player a little bit more. And a fantastic game from him. Obviously, it's the first game you don't want to, like, jump too much of the gun or jump to conclusions, but defense was not that great. Sammy was a little bit shaky at times. Um then again, it is the first game. Maybe you try your, there's a little bit of nerves. Maybe, maybe you just were still trying to get some of that extra rust off. Hopefully in the next few games coming up, we'll get a better sense of where they are. Again, it's still early. Don't want to jump to conclusions, but you know what? The fact that they were able to bounce back on the hands of Matthews shows that, you know what? You don't want to consistently outscore your problems. You want to like, you know, have the strong defense, but that's going to be the roller coaster this season. That's going to be the big question mark. And we'll see a little bit more as we get, as the season progresses. But yeah, you know, fun tilt, fun game. Um, Really think that, you know, that was a prime season opener that you want from the Maple Leafs and Canadians, despite them being in two different directions. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, could, I mean, I'm going to agree with what both of you guys said. I think uh, the one thing I'll note is um, Tyler Bertuzzi might not have had the, the game we all wanted him to have, but that, that little that little chippiness, I mean, yeah. it adds so much to, to the context of the game. And I was salivating seeing some of that stuff go on, stuff that we haven't seen since the Tucker days. Since Leafs fans are cavemen. Like yeah. that's that's really that that's really the truth that they're cavemen. We I I. I think I bitched about Ryan Reeves's contract for about 20 minutes when he mm-hmm. signed it. And then I watched some videos of him beating people up 
And then I listened to his quotes to the media about beating people up. And then ever since then, I'm just like, man, I can life's too short to get mad about 500k right and then yeah. he came in and flexed yeah. Uh, yeah, when he was exactly. introduced yeah um yeah. i was also also on that fight after it where he's just like yeah every fans, leaf, every go. leaf fan was brad Trill living in that moment just sitting yeah. back and enjoying the moment yeah. i uh i also want to mention i tweeted this but when you forbes when you talk about how tyler bertuzzi you know didn't have his greatest game on paper but that how big of a difference that chippiness made i got into an argument with a couple people on twitter who replied to my tweet like would you still be saying that he's worth that penalty was worth it or him scrapping was worth it if the leafs lost the game and it's like you're missing the point yeah like we're not okay the amount of times the leafs were on the other end of that last year and had somebody scrapping with them and didn't do anything about it like that's going to happen to the Leafs a couple times this year. They're not going to get a penalty like that every single time, first of all, or maybe they will. You never know with officiating, but it's not it's not about that play specifically. It's about the mentality Standing behind up for it. each other. And it's it's exactly. It's about Tyler Bertuzzi in game 1 dragging his teammates into the fight with him. And you know what? If he does that, that's all Leaf fans really care about. Like we they excuse me. They've been clamoring for this mentality, this team toughness mentality for the longest time. It's like, I'm sorry, if you want that team toughness, you're going to have to overlook the possibility of potentially getting an instigating penalty or a slashing penalty or something, right? It's all part of the game. Mm-hmm. So, guys, before I close it out here, I'm just going to read off the names of the 10 players that uh, Matthews joined, or sorry, the nine players that he joined in terms of fat, fewest games to 300 career goals. Obviously, number one, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Brett Hall, Mike Bossy, Yari Curry, Timu Solani, Alex Ovechkin, Pavel Bure, Maurice Richard, Austin Matthews. And Austin Matthews missed jumping two spots by three games. He would have jumped over Maurice Richard and Pavel Bure for uh, fastest to 300 career goals. So considering the the injury time that he's missed, considering the two-game suspension that he had, considering the, the, uh, the inconsistency in the NHL seasons because of COVID and whatnot, I would say that's not, not bad at all. That's a great feat right there. So, yeah. Worth noting, um, boys, anything else you wanted to th- kind of throw out there before we close it out? Uh, obviously, a big game against Minnesota tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be fun to see that. That's a young, up-and-coming team as well. Um, anything else, guys, before we close it out today? I can't wait to share our overreactions to the second and third games next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, it's, it's, it's Leaf-centric. It's Leaf-centric. Yeah. That's the way we go, right? But... Um, anyways, boys, it's, uh, it's been a great episode as always good touching base with you guys. It's been a while. And, uh, as we mentioned off the top of the show, we hope to have some big news over the next couple of weeks here. We'll keep you in, in the loop as we are kept in the loop as well. Um, Peter and I have a big meeting next week, so we'll see what, what, what comes of it. Um, until next time, folks, uh, as always, you can follow myself on Twitter at Andrew G Forbes. You can follow Peter at PBR Keeney. You can follow Alex at AHOPS and Media, or check us out on any of our socials down at the bottom there Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, you name it. Let's get to the 100 subscribers. We're sitting at 74. I want to get to 100. I want to make that century mark happen. Otherwise, uh, spay and neuter your dogs and cats. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Great way to close it out for us. All right, Bob Barker. (laughs) Until next time.